Broadcast friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you tonight, as every night, from my home broadcasting studios here in the sunny climes of Western Japan. So once again, thank you for tuning in for tonight's broadcast. And here we are, uh, for those of you in the United States, on April 19th, 2012, which of course marks the somber anniversary, uh, the 17th anniversary of the tragic events at the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City which took place on the morning of April 19th, 1995. Here we are 17 years later, and as I'm sure many of the long-time listeners to this broadcast, and I'm sure many of the broadcasts here on RBN will be all too familiar, we are now left 17 years later with even more questions than we had even at that time 17 years ago about what really took place in Oklahoma City that day. And unfortunately, one of the only things that we can state with total assurance is that the official story that we've been told about McVeigh and Nichols planning and doing this all by themselves and certainly without any foreknowledge or forewarnings is absolutely and totally incorrect. So joining us tonight on the program to talk about what happened at OKC is our special guests and uh, longtime friends of the Corbett Report, James Lane and Holland Vanden Neuenhoff the documentary filmmakers behind the excellent documentary A Noble Lie, available at anoblelie.com. That's A-N-O-B-L-E-L-I-E.com. We're going to be talking about what's been taking place in Oklahoma City today on the 17th anniversary of that false flag terror attack. So, James and Holland, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back on, and your kind words warm my heart. Uh, I am a friend of your show and have always been a fan. Yes, thank you, uh, James. I, I really appreciate having us on tonight. Uh, this was an amazing day, you know. Uh, we started out very early this morning. We were down at the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. Uh, we handed out 500 copies of A Noble Lie to all of the people that uh, were present at the uh, memorial service today. And, um, you know, this was something that we told ourselves that we would do. As soon as the movie came out, we said, you know what, we've got to go down there on the anniversary and hand this information out to people that are present that day to counter the official story, to counter the institutionalization of the uh, official story. I mean, we see legislation being passed here in Oklahoma saying that the official story of the Oklahoma City bombing will be taught in government schools the same year that the uh, legislation is struck down saying that they, w- that they should teach the Constitution. Uh, you know, when I was in New York City on September 11th last year uh, for, the, uh, for the anniversary, the 10-year anniversary, I had my Weird Change Oklahoma shirt on, and, I, and this guy comes up. He goes, oh, Oklahoma. He says, I'm from the uh, memorial uh, there in Oklahoma, and I'm up here setting up the museum in New York City. So we see the continua- continuation uh, of the lie, the institutionalization of the lie in New York City with people that have uh, pioneered it here in Oklahoma. They're taking that methodology to New York, and they're passing similar, similar legislation saying that they're going to teach the official story of 9-11 in New York schools. 
Absolutely. I don't know whether to laugh or to cry at that, especially just the discrepancy between not teaching the Constitution but wanting to teach this institutionalized lie, as you put it. And for the listeners out there who who don't know, of course, the first voice we heard there was Holland van den Neuenhoff, and the second is James Lane. So, uh, so great to have you here to share your thoughts. And of course, you are in Oklahoma, so perhaps you can give us a sense of the mood there on uh, on this anniversary. Um, well, it's strange. Uh, you know, this many years on. A lot of people are trying to put a lot of things behind them, but enough people here in Oklahoma City know that the official story is is fishy to say the least. This is somewhat of a small town, uh, almost less than a million people. I guess I continue on the other side. All right, absolutely. We'll hold that thought. And yes, we will be talking more about the Oklahoma City bombing. And of course, this is Thursday night, so in the second half of the transmission tonight, we'll be talking to James uh, Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. So just hang on right there, stay tuned, and we will be back with James Lane and Holland Van Dunenhoff right after these messages. Program friends, James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and tonight we're joined by James Lane and Holland Van Den Neuenhoff of Radio Free Oklahoma, and the producers of the documentary A Noble Lie at AnobleLie.com, going over and breaking down the false flag terrorist incident that took place in Oklahoma City 17 years ago today on April 19th, 1995, and of course they are there in Oklahoma City and they have been attending some of the observances in memorial of that so- uh, solemn occasion and uh, doing real the real yeoman's work, the uh, the foot soldiers in the Infowar, if we want to use that analogy, handing out 500 copies of their documentary to help expose more people to the truth of what's really gone on there. So, uh, so it has been a few months since a noble lie has come out, and uh, of course we did have you on the program to talk about that at the time. But since then, uh, what kinds of uh, feedback and response have you gotten from that documentary? Well, um, everyone we showed the the movie to. I mean, we showed it to a diverse audience: uh, people who are awake, people who are longtime federal employees, cops, retired cops, uh, all walks of life. And uh, many of them expected some kind of a conspiracy rant for two hours, I suppose. But it, it, like James says, it, they, they don't come back with that. They say it's an expose documentary. We're not there to rant about the government blowing up the building. Frankly, we don't have time for that. Uh, the evidence is uh, so credible to present. Um, and its totality is, is so uh, tremendous in, in, in its implications that all we could do was present the facts and the audience can pursue the implications of those facts as far as their own moral bravery can take them. But no one has been able to come back and say that uh, anything that we said in the movie was false. In fact, I would welcome a challenge uh, from anyone, especially someone in the government, to defend the official story, which is basically a wet paper bag. It does not hold up at all. In fact, there's not even one official story. What there are about a dozen cover stories to cover the sloppiness of what happened in Oklahoma City because it was a sloppy job. When people say the government can never, we know the government, the DMV, whatever, can never pull off something as perfect and as masterminded as the Oklahoma City bombing. Well, the Oklahoma City bombing was not a perfect operation. It did not come off. The end result is not what they hoped for. They had to cover a lot of loose ends. And fortunately for the government, they could rely upon the mainstream media, which they had co-opted decades ago, 
to not pursue these loose ends. And we demonstrate that, that in a noble lie, the manipulation of the mainstream media. We saw the local news here in Oklahoma City was reporting the truth. KFR TV, a local uh, TV station, was actually pursuing John Doe number two, interviewing these witnesses, talking about the ATF not being in their office on April 19th at 9.02 a.m. during a work day. And uh, a year after the bombing, KFR was purchased by New York Times Broadcasting Company. The programming director was fired. The lead journalist on the case, Jana Davis, was let go. She later wrote a book called The Third Terrorist. And we see with the case of ABC's 2020, they actually produced a 15-minute segment on prior knowledge for a national audience, which proved to be so popular that uh, they produced an entire hour, an entire show. They shot and produced it, and the producer, Roger Charles, sat down at his TV to watch it come on, and they played a rerun. He called his bosses at ABC. He's like, what is going on? They told him, uh, well, we received a series of calls from the Justice Department, and we agreed to drop the show. Well, Roger Charles became, became so incensed that he quit ABC, and he started collaborating with the Oklahoma Bombing Investigation Committee here in Oklahoma to investigate this evidence. And the reason I bring that up is that Roger Charles's new book comes out in five days on April 24th called Oklahoma City, What the Investigation Missed and Why It Still Matters. Roger Charles has a lot of access to these retired FBI and CIA agents who are now talking about what they know about the bombing. No longer are they concerned about their promotions and their careers. They have their pension. They can talk now that they're off the clock. And he has some startling revelations in that book. This story is still alive. More information is coming out day by day. Just a couple of weeks ago in Salt Lake City, we were there for a screening and we talked to Jesse Trentadu. And he had just finished a federal hearing where the uh, federal judge ordered the FBI to come back into court in June with either the videotapes that would show exactly what happened in front of the murder building or a much better excuse than they simply cannot find them. So this story continues, and as long as they try to remember the deaths of those 168 people in a lie, we will continue the fight for the truth. You know, and James, you ask, uh, you know, what is the response that we get, uh, you know, here in, in Oklahoma and, in, 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 I guess, in general with the film? Uh, it's been overwhelming response uh the overwhelming response has been very positive and you know we appreciate all the people out there but the few negative detractions that we do get about the film is one uh well maybe we didn't go far enough uh laying blame on the government uh but our goal with this documentary was not to uh create a film that was preaching to the choir what you get when you go to noble.com is a documentary that you can take to your friends and family that exposes the methodology of state terror in a way that is boiled down to the most provable essence, the most provable aspects of the documented evidence and eyewitness testimony that you can take to the uninitiated and bring them into the concept of falsified terror in a way that is palatable to the uninitiated. We don't want to preach to the choir. We want to give you a tool to go out and wake people up. You know, And to that end, we do not present any type of conclusions in the documentary. We only present documented evidence and eyewitness testimony. And this has been very effective. You know, most of the skeptics that show up, like, like Colin was saying earlier, you know, they, they, they walk away, you know, their jaws drop. They're saying, that was an expose. I can't, I can't uh, tear apart any part of it. Because, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it's this, this FBI's own documents. The, the, the testimony of people that were actually in the building that morning, like Jane Graham, VZ Lawton, and others, that said that the building was coming down 8 to 10 seconds before the truck bomb goes off. The official story says that the only explosive that brought down the Oklahoma City, uh, I'm sorry, the AP Murrow building that day, was the truck bomb. Well, according to the FEMA's own report, that blast wave was traveling at 1,700 feet per second. 
Now you explain to me how somebody has eight to ten seconds to get under their desk before the glass blows in. Uh, the, the official story doesn't hold water, and this is so easy to disprove. This is so much easier than 9-11 to disprove, and there wasn't enough information out there about the Oklahoma City bombing in one cohesive package to where people could understand it the way that we have with 9-11. We said it's our responsibility as activists in Oklahoma to get this story out in a way that people can understand the totality of it and take that and move forward and expose the false flag methodology, take that tool from the globalist toolbox, and not allow them to continue to ride the ashes of people, our, our, our fellow citizens, to their own geopolitical ends. Well, that's certainly well put and uh, well received, I think, because that is ultimately the point of seeking, uh, or at least one of the points of seeking justice for this type of uh, event. And I think you raise an important point insofar as uh, you point out that people don't, uh, the, don't who defend the official story don't want to debate or talk about these facts or, or address the issue. They prefer to sweep it under the rug to the extent possible and, of course, just uh, ram it down our children's throats in uh, the public education system that will be mandated to teach the official story. But, of course, uh, any opposition to that story won't be broached. So uh, so talk a little bit about that and the way that uh, this sto- the, the defenders, the supposed defenders of this story, are not willing to debate these facts. Well, I mean, we pass this uh, movie out to a lot of people today, including people who worked for the memorial, including people who worked in security, homeland security. And that was something that really struck me today at the memorial. Last year we were there just passing out flyers. This year we came here with the movie. And there was a huge homeland security presence it was it was obscene they had a platoon of homeland security swat team members standing at standing in ranks in front of the gates of time and that was so ironic and symbolic on so many levels that i can't even begin to enunciate them it was i mean and the fact is it was totally unnecessary they had like a a five hundred thousand dollar mobile command unit there with with its uh, huge antenna satellite antenna extended I mean, half the people inside the memorial are cops. They're all armed. The, the bagpiper was armed. No one is going to do anything on that day at that site. It would be foolish to the extreme. Yet Homeland Security is there with an overwhelming presence, walking around in their SWAT uniforms, their black SWAT uniforms, standing in ranks in front of the gates of time, symbolizing the police state, the fallen Murrah building. Um, it was sickening. But we passed the movie out. We passed, we passed it out to people who worked inside the memorial. Hopefully, they can see the movie and they can start to think for themselves, question the official story, question what they're doing. What are we defending? That's what I want to ask them. What are you defending? What are you telling these people? So the word is getting out and the story is told. And today was a good day. We promised ourselves a long time ago that we'd pass this movie out at, on the anniversary at the memorial, and we finally did. Well, that is good to hear, and I certainly think that the tide probably is turning, and that's even evident from here across the Pacific. So they're, they're, I think the word is getting out in a big way, and perhaps we can touch on that in uh, the next segment. But before we do that, uh, for people who are interested in what was happening today and, and what it was uh, all about, did you have any video footage or anything from the, uh, the observance? Yes, absolutely. Our associate, uh, Kevin Hayden from truthistreason.net, uh, he was there filming today. Most of our crew was out uh, in various parts of the country this week uh, promoting the documentary at various film festivals and screenings. Uh, we are changed chapters around the country, pulled together to do a uh, multi-city tour. And so we weren't really uh, uh, equipped at this time to do our own video. So, again, Kevin Hayden from truthistreason.net should have a video up early tomorrow. 
uh, for that. I believe he's cutting that tonight. And we'll be promoting that also. Yeah, I believe, uh, I even think the InfoWars crew said they're going to put that up over there. So you'll actually see these, uh, you know, this monstrosity of a Homeland Security uh, command center pulled up next to the building. Uh, you know, and, and every year we've been down there, we see Oklahoma City police officers and, and state troopers uh, working security. Uh, this year, you know, you had Homeland Security stormtroopers in a line in front of the uh, memorial, uh, you know, with their arms crossed, uh, looking all intimidating, you know, and, and it, it, there, there's no reason for it other than just to get people conditioned to the police state. You know, it's normal to have federal troops at your at your event. It is unfortunately just part of the uh, psychology of uh, really brainwashing the people into thinking that this is somehow normal. But uh, at any rate, on that note, let's take another short break. We'll, we'll be right back with James Lane and Holland Van Den after this. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Here we are on Corbett Report Radio on April 19th, 2012, the 17th anniversary of the OKC attack. We're talking to James Lane and Holland Van de Neuenhoff of anoblelie.com. That's A-N-O-B-L-E-L-I-E.com, where you can go and watch the trailer for A Noble Lie, a very important groundbreaking documentary that really assembles for the first time so much of the information about the questions that we still unfortunately have surrounding what really took place in Oklahoma City that tragic day. But on the on a more positive note, there I think there is definitely a, a turning of the tide that's happening in the media and uh, a lot of the coverage of the OKC material. And I've seen quite a few articles and things coming out in recent days that are asking some of the uh, the important questions, I think. Even a report from Gerald Posner, which I guess was written uh, in the wake of the, the original attack, but which ha- has never been published in its entirety. Until now, it's on thislandpress.com, and you unfortunately have to purchase the entire article. But it's talking about the third man, and of course the question of John Doe number 2, who was multiply identified by multiple witnesses, and yet the uh, FBI now says officially that he didn't exist, and... Of course, some of the uh, the other things that are making uh, news these days is PatCon and some of the things that Jesse Trinidou has been trying to expose uh, uh, about his brother. But uh, but uh, James Holland, what, what's your take on this? Do you guys see that there is a more of an awareness of some of these questions about OKC in recent years? Are starting to arise more and more because um, I guess people are not scared about Oklahoma City anymore. They're willing to think about it in an objective manner. We're seeing that people are more open to this information. And uh, you're, you referred to the This Land Press, which I, I, I guess I, I've been paying attention to the stories, too, is a new press organ here in Oklahoma that is uh, presenting a ser- series of articles on the Oklahoma City bombing. And uh, they are promoting this article by Gerald Posner, which you do need to purchase in order to read. Well, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to waste my money on giving money to Gerald Posner or to anyone who would promote him. Gerald Posner is uh, notorious for having written a very uh, error-ridden defense of the Warren Commission back in the 90s. He is a an apologist for the official story at every turn. He's been called from time to time again to explain the government's um, basically inability to uh, to bring truth and justice to these cases, that he's always been there to cover their butts. 
And so, and, uh, and for the record, he was actually outed from two uh, reporter positions for accusations of plagiarism, which uh, were never adequately addressed. And uh, oddly enough, Mark Lane was actually an attorney defending him on those charges, which is kind of ironic, considering Mark Lane was really the progenitor of questions about the Warren Commission. So I, well, I don't even Mark, know what to make of that. Mark Lane has his own credibility problems also, but I won't go into that. Um, but there are more questions arising, and people are willing to look at this. We've been showing this a lot in Oklahoma, and uh, we're not receiving a whole lot of uh, emotionally-based response. People are realizing, and I mean, I've talked to and presented this movie to people who are directly involved, people who lost loved ones. I talked to someone today whose uh, mother was uh, lost in the bombing, and uh, someone had already recommended the movie to her. We were passing out movies. Oh, my friend recommend- recommended this to me. And uh, she was very pleased to receive it. So people are receptive to the message. And I think with the, with people see how government is not, I mean, there is a lot of unrest in this country today. You, it'd be hard to exaggerate how much, how people, how much, how much people are disgusted with every aspect of the government, left and right. People are waking up at least to the fact that the system is not dedicated to their best interests. So people are actually more receptive to this message. Well, and, you know, we actually had uh, people that uh, work at the memorial today coming over asking for copies of the documentary. They said that they wanted to see this for a while. Uh, these are the people that go about day to day talking with the visitors at the memorial and pushing the official story. So that does give me a lot of hope. But, you know, we have had a few detractors that say, you know, it's 17 years on. Why do you continue to pursue this? You know, let it go. Well, because the people that were involved with the cover-up, uh, folks like Eric Holder, they're involved in further falsified attacks like the Fast and Furious scandal where the ATF was involved with taking guns uh, down to Mexico and over 2,000 people are dead now because of that incident. Uh, the uh, internal emails from the ATF are now released through mainstream media outlets stating that they will utilize this event to further enact uh, gun control legislation. If they're going to kill 2,000 people, I mean, why would they care about 168? And I think that uh, that fact alone has made people more aware of the, you know, the, the possibilities behind the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, taking these people to count, holding them accountable for what they've done, and, and and because they're still in the positions of power today, and the body count keeps going up, James. You know, I mean, we we we've talked with um, uh, the the gentleman that uh, saw the uh, underwear bomber getting on the Kurt Haskell saw the underwear bomber getting on the plane. His first radio interview, he states that he knew that there was something wrong with the official story of 9/11, and he was determined not to allow that to happen in the underwear bomber case. This is saying that we are effective, right? I mean, we're actually turning the tide here. Whenever we expose false flag terror, people are aware of it, and when they see it happening, they are now they're ready to expose it themselves. You know, this type of information, taking this to your friends and family, exposing it for what it is, no matter what false flag it is, literally saves lives. That's right, and each time that someone like a Kurt Haskell stands up and uh, speaks out about something like this, uh, more and more people are awake to the lies, and it becomes even more blatant as they continue to roll ahead with their naked body scanners and all of this police state apparatus in the name of this false flag terrorism that they themselves are, are promoting and perpetrating. On that note, we'll have to leave it there for tonight. Uh, thank you guys so much. I know you've had a long day, so thank you for coming on the program. Thank you, James. We appreciate you having us on. Yes, it's been great. 
Great, excellent. So thank you so much, and we'll be right back with James Evan Pilato. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on this Thursday evening. And, of course, it is Thursday evening, so once again, we're going to be turning to our regular Thursday night guest, James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. Quite a 180-degree turn from Oklahoma City and the solemn coverage of the 17th anniversary of the OKC attack. But there it is, and uh, and so we'll turn our attention to the world of food, health, and environment. Of course, we're talking about foodworldorder.com. If you haven't been there yet, what are you waiting for? So, James, thanks once again for your time. Hey, man, thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. I'll be your renegade of food funk that really <laughs> pumps me up. So I, in, in, in order to find some type of transition, I just did a quick search in the news, and, and this is what I've got for you. Oklahoma U.S. Representative Frank Lucas defends proposed cuts to the food stamp program. The U.S. House Agriculture Committee, led by Oklahoma Representative Frank Lucas, votes to cut $33 billion from the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. But leading Democrats say the Senate will never consider the proposal. James, we've noted many, many times that this is now a food stamp nation, whether or not Obama has the credit or the blame as the food stamp president, of course, we know it's a seamless transition from one to the next. The other bit from Oklahoma, and again, we've referenced kind of the mass outbreak over the past year of salmonella in what the CDC and their reports refer to as a, quote, Mexican-style fast food restaurant chain. We know full well it's Taco Bell. And 68 people were sick in last year, and that's 16 in Oklahoma, I believe, the most. And there are multiple families suing them. So more on that from Coco.com. James, that's the best I could do for you for, for Oklahoma transitions there. Well, it is a sad indictment of uh, the state of America generally right now, isn't it? You uh, kick, kick the poor to the curb by taking away their food stamps, and then when they go to, you know, sop up the uh, food at the, the fast food joints because they can't afford anything else, they uh, get salmonella. So it's all of one uh, one big continuity, as you say, seamless agenda from puppet president to puppet president. So on that note, let's turn to food, foodworldorder.com. What have you got up for us tonight? We'll begin with a double shot on fluoride, James, and we'll begin with one from Natural News. Dover Air Force Base ordered to restart water fluoridation. Dover Air Force Base in Maryland, which folks may know as the site where sometimes press are able to see the coffins coming home from our wars of aggression abroad, but I digress. Dover Air Force Base in Maryland stopped adding fluoride to their water system in 2007. In 2010, they reported this in their water quality report. After this knowledge became public, the Air Force issued new orders three months later that forced the base to restart fluoridation. The news could have resulted in Defense Department orders to fluoridate more bases and facilities. So in 2007, the base stopped supplying water to the housing units where the military families live. A private company had purchased the housing and a non-governmental company took over supplying non-fluoridated water to the housing units and the public school on the base. The base now says they had no requirement to add fluoride in 2007, so they stopped doing it. 
They are unwilling to say anything more about why they stopped in 07. It's likely that the Pew Children's Dental Campaign heard about Dover. Pew is an advocacy group that pushes for more mandatory fluoridation. They convinced the Defense Department to force more military bases and facilities to fluoridate their water. James, there are links in that to pewtrusts.org. But like I said, it's a double shot. And we have a separate post briefly from experimentalvaccines.org that notes, of course, fluoride toothpaste, poison for your brain, and it reduces IQ. This is something, James, you've, you've done entire episodes on fluoridation of the podcast, have you not? I certainly have, and I hope people will uh, look into some of that. Just uh, type fluoride into the search bar on CorbettReport.com, and you'll get all sorts of interviews and uh, podcasts that I've done. This is another one that, if I could make some rough comparison to what you were just discussing about Oklahoma City, that as time goes by, it just kind of becomes more and more publicly accepted, you know, most folks at JFK go, oh, yeah, I don't think, you know, Oswald probably did it alone. And the years go by and people think, yeah, I don't know if, you know, Timothy McVeigh, you know, did it alone. And we learn these things that are kind of realized, but we don't act like we know them as as reality. So... This kind of such an important point, such an important point, because it is just uh, if as long as they can just draw it out over a period of years and then decades, then then any truth, no matter how uncomfortable it would have been if we learned it all at once, can be drawn out to the point where people don't get angry about it. But uh, but it is an important point to think about regarding the psychology of all of this. But I I just want to say hats off, uh, extra points and a gold sticker for you for putting as the first fluoride link in your uh, Dover Air Force Base article. FluorideAlert.org, which, of course, is the first place I always send people uh, to, to for information on that. Just an incredible resource of information on scientific studies and other things proving, of course, the uh, the detrimental effects of fluoride. So so uh, hats off to you, my friend, for that. Well, I'd either have to hat tip to Natural News and or my man Adam in Nova Scotia, I've mentioned, has been helping out posting on foodworldorder.com for the last couple of months, and that's really why there has been such an explosion in coverage. One last related fluoride note, James, goes to our friend Barbara Peterson and farmwars.info. New studies show fluoridation fails to reduce cavities in New York City and nationally. This being just a, a press release. New research shows that fluoride chemicals added to U.S. public water supplies are not reducing tooth decay as promoted and promised by government agencies, reports the New York State Coalition Opposed to Fluoridation. Using federal statistics, the West Virginia University Rural Health Research Center reports that urban U.S. children with more exposure to fluoridated water and dental care have just as many cavities as less fluoridation-exposed rural children. Now, James, when I briefly mentioned that to you in the break, you said, why is West Virginia doing studies about New York City? I could not answer that question for you, but we'll put it out to folks there to go follow these links and go do more research for themselves. Well, why not? I don't care where That's... the uh, research is being conducted as long as it uh, shows the truth. And, and again, you know, for, for folks out there, I'm, I'm born and raised in West Virginia. For 20, first 28 years of my life, I've been in Oregon for about seven. So being away from it only brings, you know, m more attention for me. It makes me more of a cheerleader. So hopefully that research is sound and it doesn't go into just the 
you know, the white lab coats and the scientific dictatorship that we talk about so many times, James. And on that note, what's up next? On that note, we'll do a, a couple of updates for stories that we have mentioned before. I really like this one from Denver Post. George Zimmerman rendered in Skittles. A Denver artist makes his points in candy pointillism. An artist made a piece called Fear Itself, made out of 12,250 Skittles. And it's a portrait of George Zimmerman, of course, the shooter of Trayvon Martin, and that has been the dominant story here in the States for now the last couple of months. And this, I think, gets gets more interesting, and I add the related note, aside from this artistic piece. Skittles joins food brands at center of tragedy, and, and this I, I find a, a lot more fascinating and, and related to sort of media and pop culture and junk food and all of those things. But this is a, an Associated Press article that notes, it could have been Starbursts, Twizzlers, or Sour Patch Kids, but when Trayvon Martin was fatally shot, he happened to be carrying a bag of Skittles. Now that, of course, has turned into the rallying cry and some of the protest props that people have used. For Mars Incorporated, the privately held company that owns Skittles, the tragedy presents another more surreal dimension. Protesters carried bags of the chewy fruit-flavored candy while marching for the arrest of George Zimmerman. Wrigley Jr. Company, the unit of Mars that owns Skittles, issued only a brief statement offering condolences to Martin's friends and family, adding that it would be inappropriate to comment further, quote, as we would never wish our actions to be perceived as an attempt of commercial gain. Where this article gets more interesting is how it ties into all these other kind of food brands throughout the years that, for whatever reasons, become part of the public lexicon. The Twinkie defense, don't drink the Kool-Aid. These things go to massively important events, I, I would say, in, in history and especially alternative history. And folks may not remember drinking the Kool-Aid. That's about Jim Jones. The Twinkie defense is about... Dan White murdering San Francisco mayor and city supervisor. You may know it as the Harvey Milk film. But it's a fascinating bit, I guess, just art imitating life and, and the foods and the companies and, and all of these things. And it's, of course, always worth noting, and, and they do it in the article, it wasn't actually Kool-Aid at Jonestown. It was Flavor-Aid, James. <laughs> Well, if there's ever a way to, you know, exploit a, a terrible tragedy and a, a big, big brouhaha for the uh, for purposes of corporate gain, I'm sure they'll find a way to do it. And here it is. Um, it is an interesting merger and nexus of all of these different, you know, pop culture and art and and crime and uh, corporate uh, corporate corporatocracy. It's a bizarre mixture of things uh, in that story and a lot to suss out. But uh, I must admit, I'm going to have to. Plead ignorance about the Twinkie defense. I, I, I'm totally unfamiliar with that case. Ah, well, we'll have to discuss that sometimes, James. I, I learned about it, you know, years ago when I kind of have was having my own political awakening back in the '90s, listening to spoken word albums from Jello Biafra of of the Dead Kennedys, who was from San Francisco, where this event took place. But we'll we'll table that for another time. A couple of quick updates, James. We mentioned last week, or perhaps two weeks ago in Michigan about the killing of the piglets, the invasive species order. 
NaturalNews.com has put out the call to action. Join the demand to investigate Michigan DNR director over the forced shooting of baby piglets in cold blood. And you can go to MUCC.org and more to learn about this. And we discussed that a couple of weeks ago, James, and it's, you know, it's based on hair color, essentially. Yeah, it was a bizarre story, and uh, I still don't know what to make of it, but it is good to see that at least Natural News is putting the call out for people to get uh, to get involved and to do something about it, because we always run the risk of just taking this news on as if we're passive spectators instead of people who can, can actually assert ourselves and put ourselves in the mix and actually make a difference. So I'm uh, I'm always supportive of things that get people active and going on issues like this. A couple of stories that make for a strange juxtaposition. Blood device enters arteries, and this discusses just some of the technological advances on what can be put into the bloodstream, medical devices going to work. And they, of course, reference the 1966 film Fantastic Voyage, where a submarine full of scientists shrunk to microscopic size and injected into the bloodstream of a seriously wounded diplomat. People our age, James, may remember it in that film, Inner Space. But, again, we are essentially living in the future. So from something very, very small, we'll go to something large. From Der Spiegel, surge in obesity sparks crematorium blazes in Germany. As the number of obese Germans rises, the funeral industry is scrambling to make adjustments in how larger bodies with more fat can be safely incinerated. A number of crematoriums have suffered severe damage when burning fat overwhelmed their emergency measures. And that's all of the article that I posted up on Food World Order. But, of course, you can get the quite gory details from Der Spiegel. James? Um, I, I think I'll give that one a pass. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you're certainly right. We are entering Buck Rogers with uh, all of this technology that's coming along. And, of course, it's always presented as an unmitigated good but anyone who's looked into some of the uh, the scarier aspects of this know that just like any other technology, of course it could be used for good as easily as it can be used for evil. And it's really a question of who's implementing the technologies and for what purpose and who's deciding how these technologies get used. And we can uh, always bring that back to bioethics and the, uh, the neo-crypto-eugenics and all of that. So unfortunately, that's always hiding under the surface. But of course, having said that, it's always good to see new and uh, novel ideas for approaching old uh, biological problems. Mm-hmm. And we discussed briefly last week Mexico seeing a rise in obesity thanks to NAFTA. And I guess, you know, we sometimes get the impression that, you know, it's just, you know, oh, it's America. America's full of the fatties. And in a way that has been true. But as we see this sort of globalization, just as we said last week, the free market brings you high fructose corn syrup and genetically modified organisms, and you have a choice. You know, you can get a Chalupa or a Big Mac. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> again, again, no, thank you. So from foodfreedomgroup.com, James, world's cheapest food is in the USA. And the question is, at what cost? It's interesting to break down that basically Americans spend, what, 5.5% of their disposable income they spend on food for home. And when you compare that to some other countries, it has Kenya at 45% and Pakistan as well. So American food may be cheap, but that's about the only compliment it deserves because when you rely on cheap food, you typically get what you pay for. 
Behind virtually every cheap burger is a concentrated animal feeding operation, James. There's those CAFOs that we mentioned last week. So what's the cost of a food system based on genetically modified foods? This, again, goes to something that my girlfriend always says. Sure, you can, you know, you can buy the cheap crap now and get by, but it's going to cost you so much more down the road. That's exactly right, and uh, and of course, when we're comparing, say, U.S. spending per capita on things uh, like food, uh, disposable income on food, to somewhere like Kenya, of course, we're talking about a vast discrepancy in just the overall incomes. But uh, but when you start to look at other industrialized, uh, developed nations like Germany and France, they still spend a double, sometimes even triple, uh, what the U.S. is spending, and that's uh, that's more due to the fact that they actually tend to buy and and be picky about their ingredients, and certainly that's the case here in Japan. Um, um, fresh food is valued uh, to a much higher extent than they were for me back in Canada, and I imagine it's much the same in the U.S. So I think uh, people have to really start looking around the world and, uh, and correlating the people's eating habits with their, their health and longevity. And, uh, and Japan is the longest-lived uh, people uh, in the, on the planet, so there must be something to it. I find I, I sometimes have to bite my tongue. And, and again, for folks out there that don't know, I, I work at a grocery store here in Portland, Oregon. And... I hear people, you know, I hear them every day go, oh, God, that's too expensive. Oh, the, oh, gosh, that's, oh, that's too much. Let's go to, you know, let's go to that other, you know, let's go to Safeway or one of the conventional, you know, national chains that we can get that, you know, for cheaper. And I always want to say, you know, the first thing is, you know, well, your dollar is worth less. So that's why it's more on the first hand. And again, to say, you know, you can get cheap now, but you're going to pay for it a lot more. I bet those hospital bills are going to be a hell of a lot more later than paying a little more now up front. Plus, you know, in defense, I'd like to say that working at an independent chain, you're supporting a, a business that supports its community. And I don't think you get the same thing from Safeway and Trader Joe's. That's right. Well, hold that thought, and we'll be back after this to finish up tonight's Food World Order Binge and Purge. Welcome back, friends. We are here in the closing minutes of tonight's episode of Corbett Report Radio. And, of course, in the first half, we were talking to James Lane and Holland Van de Neuenhoff of AnobleLie.com. And now we're talking to James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com and many other websites besides, of course. So once again, James, uh, it's always a pleasure having you here to break down all of this news and information. So much going on that it would be impossible for one man to, to really handle it all, and yet somehow you do. So my hat's off to you for that. And speaking of that, we have a rather large binge and purge to get through. So uh, let's start getting into that. We'll 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 take it pretty pretty sparingly on the binge and purge. That's if you go right now, posted at the top of foodworldorder.com. And again, it's a, a huge thanks to my man Adam in Nova Scotia helping post to Food World Order. It begins strangely enough, James, with a piece from Fox News. People would do just about anything for free food. But how about hugging a Coca-Cola vending machine just for a soda? If you're up for showing a vending machine some love, there's one at the National University of Singapore that's providing opportunities for just that, according to Forbes. 
The vending machine in Coca-Cola's iconic red color and with the words, Hug Me, was installed as part of the company's Open Happiness campaign. And before long, there were lines of people on campus waiting to give their affection to the dispenser. Hug Coca-Cola vending machine, get a free soda. Now, I put quotes around free because you are paying dearly, I would say, psychically. (laughs) You are paying with your very soul. So, uh, again, there are so many other things on this Binge and Purge that I'll, I'll implore folks to go check out about the uncontrolled chaos of weather going on in, in the Midwest here in the States and also reports of earthquakes in Utah and, and I think also just coming on the heels of, of drills. But there's hugs and drugs, James. Of course, Obama, this summit was completely overshadowed by the whole prostitution scandal with the Secret Service. But basically, at this summit of the Americas, all the other Latin American leaders are all basically saying, hey, the drug war is complete garbage. We want to end it. And, of course, Obama's Sayah, continuing on from the previous puppet, says, quote, legalization is not the answer. Because, of course, we know run-for-profit prisons are the answer, and we could solve pretty much most of the world's problems if we all just grew more hemp. Certainly so. So some of the other bits, again, on on the binge and purge notes, a new study, our chemical cocktail evaluated in a new report, food packaging and BPA. So if the food's in plastic, what's in the food? And that's what the Washington Post asks. And we learn so many more things. Something not even posted, James, I saw just recently from Grist. This is a, a new one on me. New study links autism to high fructose corn syrup. And the last thing I want to mention on this massive binge and purge, uh, an amazing exclusive investigation report from Darjumail on aljazeera.com. Gulf seafood deformities alarm scientists. Eyeless shrimp and fish with lesions becoming common with British petroleum oil pollution believed to be the likely cause, James. All right, uh, just an incredible bombshell there. I hadn't seen that uh, autism report either, but that links into reports of high fructose corn, corn syrup containing mercury that were going, making the rounds a few years ago. So I hope people will look that up. And then, uh, of course, there's the, the vaccine connection there. So very, very interesting study indeed. But on that note, we're completely out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. As always, James and Pilato, foodworldorder.com, a great resource. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And thank you to all of you out there for listening. Of course, you can get the show notes for tonight's episode at corbettreport.com slash radio. And on that note, thank you for listening, and I'll see you again tomorrow night. <laughs>